adjusting my Madonna mic. This is as close as it'll get to being Madonna. It's not that close, I don't think. <laughs> uh, so it's been nice to be with you all today, this first day of practice. And um, I remember my first retreat the end of the first day and I was hurting <laughs> and uh, when it came time for the Dharma talk the teacher said what you need after a first day of a retreat is a good Dharma talk <laughs> and I, I, did, I did need that um, I don't know if I can give you a good Dharma talk, but I'll, I'll try to give you something. Um, so tonight I'm going to, uh, this is the Essential Dharma Retreat, so we're doing some, kind of focusing on some of the core teachings. Uh, so tonight I'll talk a little bit about uh, mindfulness and then the uh, the uh, what's called the four foundations or the four domains for establishing mindfulness, which is kind of the uh, the teaching from uh, the early Buddhist discourses out of which the whole mindfulness practice comes. There's a one particular discourse which I have here. Maybe I'll read a little from it. Um, and so this is a, maybe a bit of an overview of what, what we're doing and what we're going to be doing. So have any of you been paying attention at all today? <laughs> maybe a, a little bit, hopefully. That's kind of the instruction, right? Just to be here and just pay, as Howie was saying, just to pay attention to what's happening. The Buddha knowing the Dharma. Am I aware? And what am I aware of? That's kind of the where we begin. And the first thing one notices is that it's uh, there's a lot of momentum away from being here present, awake, and aware. Isn't that, has that been true for you? It's not like we say, let's be here, aware, and you just stay. Would that, I don't know if that would be nice, but it's not like that. You're with the breathing, and how long do you, how long, be honest, a breath, maybe two, and and uh, one of the great things about a, a retreat like this is you get to see just what your mind is doing, uh, and is it's doing a lot usually. So the you know as we were emphasizing this morning, the first stage of a retreat is about kind of. <laughs> starting to establish a relationship to being present. 
which also means starting to be in relationship to all of the activity of the mind, which pulls us into realms that exist only in our thinking. Realms that aren't existing anywhere except kind of in here. And yet these realms seem like they are the world we live in, the world as it will be, my future, the future, or the past, or even the present, which is really my stories about the present much of the time, my story about me in the present. Is it mostly me in the future and me in the past? Usually, the story has a lot to do with me a lot of the time. At least mine does. <laughs> I'm like uh, the star of the show, even when it's a, a bad show. Uh, so establishing a relationship to being present with what is actually happening now. And what is actually happening includes a bunch of thinking, right? So all the things I'm thinking about aren't actually happening now, most of them. And yet it seems that way. This is the magic of thinking, which is a beautiful function. And we're not trying to turn into, it would not be a positive outcome if you all left this retreat not being able to think. You know, there goes another spirit rock zombie. (laughs) (laughs) I got to go there. (laughs) That would not be good. That's not what we're cultivating. But we are hopefully cultivating the capacity to not believe all of this stuff automatically. And to not just live in it and lost in it. Living in it is not that satisfying, even when it's a positive fantasy. Because it's not happening. It's not... It doesn't, whatever, what's happening, it doesn't have the texture of, you know, seeing the land, feeling your feet on the ground, right? Touching a tree. It doesn't have that same quality. It's a, a representation. So, so the fact that you're noticing all of this happening is good news, not bad news. Now, sometimes in the, after a day of practice, people can get kind of, a little critical of themselves or think they're not practicing right because of how much the mind is moving and how much it's producing. And that's really not a way of evaluating how well you're doing in this practice. Uh, The fact that you're noticing suggests that you're aware, which is a good sign. The people we really worry about here are the ones who come and say, I didn't have a single thought for that whole, through that whole meditation. And then as a teacher, you kind of think, hmm, <laughs> we better take care of this one. Because <laughs> right? it just means you're not noticing. You know? uh, so, uh, okay, so we're coming back. And what are we ever, what are we able to practice? Practicing being present and aware with what's happening now for just a moment. 
aware with a breath, just for one breath, just for like half a breath, just this one. That's, that's the extent of the task. If you had to be aware for two breaths, that would be too long. That's too much to ask of you. Because the second breath isn't anywhere. That's just an idea. The task is to be here now, just for right now. That's always the task. So there's no duration involved. And this takes us out of a certain kind of effort to like extend being mindful. If you have to extend it, there's effort involved in that. Kind of like, let me stretch it out. You know, let me stay here. You know, it kind of involves some tension often. So, but just to be here right now with this. And then if you go into thinking, which is, of course, not leaving here. All of this is happening here. You never go anywhere. You notice and you come back to just noticing for, again, for one breath, one step, just one moment. And we do this again and again. Right? And it's the kind of being in an environment like this with nothing else to do and practicing remembering. Right? That's kind of what we're practicing. Remembering to be aware for just a moment. It starts to happen more. You remember to remember, and every time you remember to be present, it leads to another moment of remembering. It becomes more, uh, dare I say, habitual. It's just, you're conditioning a new pattern, which is the pattern of remembering to be aware. It's like a new thing, a new skill, like anything. And anything that you practice like this, you know, whether it's, you know, remembering or uh, feeding, you know, or going to your phone, it's reinforced, reinforces right? that. So these moments begin to happen a little more frequently and they start to, at times they can start to feel like they're connecting, you know, like you'll have moments in succession without trying. They just will have moments in succession. And this creates a momentum of presentness over time. Yeah? So the, we're starting to shift out of just living to, almost totally in these virtual worlds to starting to be here some of the time, and then more of the time, just through remembering and practicing. Yeah? It ha- you don't have to make it happen. It will just happen. Just from your pretty good enough meditating. Right? It doesn't have to be perfect meditating. You just got to be in the neighborhood, you know, and, and then it starts to unfold. So this connecting with anything really, but we're starting in the simple way, the body, breathing. Right? This connecting getting in develops, uh, the mind starts to kind of uh, collect, the attention starts to collect here in the present, and that's sometimes called... Uh, Shamatha or samatha, it's the unification of uh, the mind. Yeah, usually we're, we're kind of scattered between a whole bunch of different thoughts. We're kind of in all these different places, not simultaneously, but in quick succession. 
mentally. So we're kind of, it feels like we're scattered. Anybody familiar with that feeling? It's like a modern epidemic, scattered, you know? And yet when the mind and the body, I love that phrase that Howie uses, putting the mind and the body. When the body and the mind are together, there's some unification. Mind and the body, there's some unified. And that's a, it feels different. It feels more cohesive, coherent, stable still. So this stability is something we're cultivating by being with the breathing, stepping, coming back again and again. Uh, we get more stable here and now. So, uh, the, you know, often in the, you see this practice called vipassana meditation, but actually it's really called shamatha vipassana or samatha vipassana, which is calming, sometimes the calming or unifying of the mind, and then insight, vipassana, seeing clearly into the nature of things. So it's this unifying our attention in the present, or just, you could just say, you don't need to unify anything, but just getting stable in presence and awareness, which allows us to be here long enough to see anything. Right? It's really hard to see anything when you're not here for more than half a second. And if every moment, if they, I sometimes imagine if like somebody were doing an experiment, like a scientist, but like every other second they had to like run out the door and do something, you wouldn't be able to like observe what's happening. You can tell I know very little about science because I can't even like elaborate on that example, like flush it out a little. <laughs> but in anything, it's very hard to maintain the observing. But the stability of being here allows us to then start to see, oh, and what do we see? Well, we'll get into that in a few moments. So since this is the first night of the retreat, I want to say some general things about practicing just to kind of, again, help us be in the neighborhood of what we're doing. Um, uh, one thing that really, really helps is when you notice that your mind is off in some mind world, don't rush back to the breathing. You know, because people can get into this kind of thing of like, I'm in the wrong place, you know, like, which subtly translates into bad. You know, like, quick, get back where you're supposed to be. And something gets lost in that. What gets lost is, one, seeing what your mind is actually doing, which is, starts to get very useful and interesting. And two, it's hard on your system. Our body and mind don't like being jerked around like that. And, uh, and uh, I like using the example of uh, when you see people, sometimes disgruntled dog owners who have had a bad day or maybe just aren't good to their pets and they have their dog on the leash and every time the dog is like moving towards something, they kind of jerk them back. Have you seen that? Yeah. Usually there's a little face that goes... <laughs> and, uh, and I always really feel for those dogs. It's like, that would suck. You know, to be <laughs> but we kind of do that to ourselves. Right? It's like, get back. And that's a violence. You know? 
The dog gets depressed, stops running after little interesting things, sniffing around, stops being dog-like, you know, excited. And that same thing happens to humans when they get too much of this. And then medica- meditating becomes very uh, uh, hard. Yeah, not that fun. So if you can just uh, not be in the punishment mode, but just notice mind is thinking, and then ask yourself the question, am I still breathing? And just that question will point you to what's happening. Oh, breathing in, breathing out, right? Or just come back gently to feeling, just for a moment. This will serve you in all kinds of ways. So just to notice the attitude and quote-unquote coming back. So what are these four uh, domains for establishing mindfulness? Well, the, this text is, is about basically how to practice awareness. And mindfulness, hopefully, you've had a sense of, is just this capacity to attend to what's happening right now without trying to fix it or manipulate it or make it better or tinker with it. This kind of just clear seeing of what's happening now without kind of judging it as great or not great, without kind of adding an overlay to it, just seeing what is here. That's mindfulness. So in being with the breathing, it's to feel the breath you're actually having right now, not the idea of your breath, you know? Because you could do that. Yeah, I'm breathing in, breathing out, there is a breath. But the invitation is to just feel this breath, this one, as it is, to taste the food, this bite. You know, sometimes it's surprising what food tastes like because we so rarely taste it. To not think you know what you're going to see in the next moment because you don't, and you can let yourself be surprised. Right? This is this just awareness of what's happening now. It's a beautiful way to, we're not doing this here particularly, but to look at somebody who you've known for a long time just in this kind of fresh way, without the overlay of the past, just seeing what's actually here, right? In its impression, direct impression. Hearing, it's just hearing the sound. You might know it's a bird, but being in just the textural quality of hearing. It's rare that we are in contact with life in this intimate a way. Usually it's so overlaid by our concepts, right? We rarely contact the thing itself. There's a chair, you know, there's my husband, there's my wife, (laughs) you know, and maybe you're not flipping your hand like this, but it's, but you know, sort of like, I know who you are, you know, I know this. Here's Spirit Rock, I've been here 36 times, you know. Here's day one of the retreat. I'm usually sleepy, and you know, it's like just the, the idea that you know what's happening already, you know, and so it's just really this kind of fresh seeing. It it's, can be fun to do to look at a tree and just not be in just the idea that you already, oh, this is that kind of tree, and I think, you know, just to see what's in front of you. It's beautiful. It's, it's a very intimate kind of seeing. So this is uh, mindfulness. It's always in the present. You can't do this kind of attending in the past because the past is not here. 
What you can do is you can attend in this way to the past as it arises here in memory, right? So you can, you can be aware in this way of remembering. And you might do that. You're sitting here and all of a sudden, like you're in, well, I'm back in high school or middle school. And there's Joey O or whatever. And you're aware of seeing. So you can be aware of the, the, the imagined future arising. That's, that's mindfulness. But it, you're aware of it as it's appearing here. It's an image. Yeah? Or you can be aware of a story. We're going to get more into how to be aware with thinking later on in the retreat. But just to... You may have a judgment about what you're seeing. Say, oh, that's not mindfulness. I'm having a judgment. I remember reading mindfulness is, doesn't involve judgment. So I must be doing it wrong. People are usually looking for evidence that they're med- doing it wrong. There's my evidence. I'm judging. I think everybody, you know, all these New Age zombies walking around Spirit Rock. Oh, I must not be mindful. I'm judging. But mindfulness can be aware of judging. Right? So you're aware, just aware in a very clear way. You see somebody walk by, you're just aware of seeing them, and then you think, those are ridiculous socks. You know, because you're not you're just looking at people's feet, right? You know. Those are ridiculous socks. So mindfulness is what sees the judging. Okay? It's not like the absence of judging, it's what sees the judging. So mindfulness is what allows you to you know, be aware in seeing, as we were talking about earlier, just seeing the room. Oh, seeing, seeing. So the, the discourse on the four establishment domains for establishing mindfulness is a way of systematically training ourselves in this capacity for a certain kind of present moment attending. Yeah. And basically it's a way of laying out everything that's useful to pay attention to. Uh, which pretty much includes everything that happens to be happening, but it's a way of categorizing it so that you can, which can be very useful. So the first domain is uh, body, and we've already been in this domain a lot. Right? Uh, we tend to be very kind of. Somebody was saying in one of the interview groups today. I feel like I'm, you know, 95% of the time I'm either ahead of myself or behind myself or just, but I'm rarely like here in my own body. And so we're learning how to have the body just by coming back again and again into the body and walking and standing and putting on our shoes. Having the body be like a home base for awareness. For most of us, this is anything but a home base. We may have all kinds of issues about our body from a sort of viewing it in a very superficial way sometimes, seeing just the outside and through a bunch of judgments. But we're establishing kind of an internal relationship to this body, learning how to inhabit it, to dwell in the body with awareness. Uh, It can be very useful because in a way your body is the most, one of the most stable aspects of your experience. It's relatively unchanging compared to sensations and feelings and thoughts. 
So even in the walking, I don't know if I said this this morning, but I, I should have. Rather than walking and knowing you have feet, like some people at times you see people walking and they're kind of looking down at their feet. And you can kind of tell, and I've done this myself, there's sort of like a mental being saying, hey, I have feet. You kind know, of looking down. And that's just very interesting to play with. What's it like to feel your feet from the inside? Yeah. And to feel the foot connecting from within the foot with the, you know, kissing the earth. So this body is a very useful uh, home base for awareness. And the body in this traditional way, it includes the breathing. Right? So this is where we establish our base. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the first domain. Right? We start here. Breathing in. I won't read this part of it. So when breathing in, one is aware of breathing in. It's very complicated. When breathing out, one is aware of breathing out. There's some refinements on that, but that's, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not too complicated. Yeah. So, um, So, part of the reason, and this is my theorizing, that we are not present in our bodies and don't want to be, is because our body is where we feel everything, right? This is like the locus of our experience. And there's a lot of things that happen in this physical body that we don't want to go anywhere near because they're unpleasant. And I think this is, aside from just being caught up in our thinking, I think this is a big part of the reason why we're not that embodied. Because it's, well, who wants to be in here? Yeah. Like, uh, you notice that if you just sit for any amount of time. Right? Did you notice that? You were sitting on a cushion, and it was excruciating, and then you moved to a chair, and it was like, oh, yeah. And then after 15 minutes in the chair, you're like, mm, my tailbone is feeling funny here. Actually, the, the angle is not that comfortable on my hips, or you know, my shoulders are hurting. Right? You, you don't escape it. This is about having a human body. So... Uh, one of the things we do in practice is we actually are, once the attention gets somewhat steady, and this is moving ahead a little bit, we're not even asking you to do this really yet, is we will start to invite you to attend in the same way that we're attending with the breathing to all of the various sensations in your own body, including what we call pain. A pain is a word, it's a concept, but it points to a whole variety of experiences that may be happening in your body. So the second a domain, um, I'm going to kind of talk about these things in, in tandem a little bit, but um, the second domain for establishing mindfulness, or the second foundation of mindfulness is called, uh, it's often translated as feeling tone. And there's a Pali word for this is Vedana. Feeling tone is something which... It's like one of the things I 
you would never think of yourself, and yet it's so obvious. It's one of like the Buddha's genius insights. It's so obvious, and yet one wouldn't quite think of it. This is a teaching that in every moment of sense contact, whether it's seeing something, hearing something, feeling something, having something kind of physical touch, uh, smelling something, tasting something, or thinking something. See, in the Buddhist psychology, the, the mind is considered sixth sense, not in like the woo-woo sixth sense way, but like this is a sense door. You can think something. At every moment of sense contact, there's a feeling tone that arises. It's subtly, it's experienced as subtly pleasant or maybe very pleasant, subtly unpleasant or very unpleasant, or neither, which is sometimes called neutral. Interesting to notice. Every moment you you walk outside and you see, and there's a seeing, maybe see the the morning, it's subtly pleasant, subtly unpleasant, or neither. Somebody walks by you, seeing, you may notice it's pleasant, or maybe it's unpleasant, just the feeling tone of it. And a lot of what we are reacting to in our lives is this quality. We don't notice it, first of all, and yet it's what conditions a whole bunch of our behavior. When something is pleasant, we have a whole series of habitual responses to that. The first one is that we generally label it as good. Right? Pleasant is good. People do this meditating all the time. If it's feeling pleasant, is good. If it's feeling unpleasant, it's bad. And if it's neutral, and this is, again, our habitual responses, if it's neutral or neither pleasant or unpleasant, it's totally uninteresting. It's just boring. I just, what else is happening? It's really good to look at this automatically. When things are pleasant, we, are, we immediately, unconsciously, start trying to keep it going or to get more of it. You notice the sitting in very subtle ways. It's starting to feel pleasant, and that pleasantness is starting to go away. Right? Or it's feeling pleasant. You just want it to stay, don't you? Please stay. Don't send me back to distraction land. You know? So again, this, this craving. And this craving in itself is, a su- is suffering. You know, this craving to have it more. There's nothing suffering about just it being pleasant and you being in it. What creates a sense of dis-ease is this craving. Yeah. There's this habitual response of craving in relation to pleasant. In relation to unpleasant, we have a very habitual response of trying to get away from it, making it wrong. This is, I need to stop this from happening. And, and you can notice it whenever people come in and are into an interview or a meeting and they uh, think things are going badly, it's usually that it's unpleasant. It's like uh, predictable. It's almost boringly predictable. You know, you never hear somebody come in and be like, I'm just feeling so, so much pleasantness in my body. 
you know, I think I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> you know, I just don't do that. But if it's like painful or there's like some emotion happening, which is like is you don't want to be, it's like, this must not be what's supposed to be happening, right? This can't be what it's about. This habitual reaction. Uh, and there is suffering, I will posit, and I invite you to explore it. There is dis-ease in the actual act, action of trying to push away unpleasant. Right there in the moment of trying to get rid of it, mental tension is created. It's tiring and it's tense. So the suffering is right there, whether it goes away or not. It's right in there. And so I invite you to start to notice that. What's it like when something's happening that's unpleasant? And just notice how you're trying to push it away. And then notice what it's like to just welcome it. Let it be here for a moment. And see if something doesn't shift. So welcoming the throbbing. Or welcoming the, you know, the sleepiness or the restlessness. People don't want to do that, right? Oh, I'm feeling really restless. How about letting yourself feel really restless and being with it without trying to get rid of it? It's interesting. A lot of the tension, the inner mental suffering is in the trying to get rid of. Again, something just for you to explore. The neutral, neither pleasant or unpleasant, is really important because that's most of your life. Most of your life doesn't register. That's why people come to places like this. They don't feel, people don't feel alive. Or people feel dulled or deadened or disconnected. And a lot of times it's because we do not know how to be with life. We don't know how to be with the pleasant. We don't know how to be with the unpleasant. And we certainly don't know how to be with it when it's neither pleasant or unpleasant. And yet this is a, you will be doing this all the time here. What we're learning to do is actually be here for these moments that are nothing. They're not important to the mind. And yet, you might even have noticed already, sometimes those moments, the world opens up when nothing is happening. And sometimes it takes a certain quieting down and like learning how to be able to make contact with life at a lower frequency. Yeah, we're so bombarded with stimulation that when that stimulation is removed, sometimes we just don't know how to make contact with anything that's not hitting us in the face. Or, ping, ping, ping. Yeah. And so, but in this quieting, we're actually learning how to settle into just making contact with like feeling something in your hand. Yeah. Just the, 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 the neutral realm is like a, I don't know, it's, it's really a, a wonderful, th- that sounds so inadequate, it's a wonderful thing. You know? But this Polish poet, Wasława Szymborska, wrote this great poem about the, which kind of captures this, about all the people that she doesn't love. It's an ode to the people she doesn't love and about the great freedom that she feels Because <laughs> she doesn't, there's not any wanting or not wanting. 
So anyway, so something to be explored. All of these unimportant moments is where life happens. We're practicing that, standing up, walking outside. Uh, Life can come alive in a way. And when it does, you one starts to realize, I don't need to be busy. I was thinking about the thing Howie read at the beginning. I don't need to have anything happening. Not a lot of us know this, that this is possible, that you don't need... One can be happy and fully alive without anything in particular happening. Not an achievement or a reaching of something or a people thinking you're great or telling you you're great. You know, this is, um, this is something very important because then, it's not like then you just don't do anything after that. Then you don't need it. You don't need busy. And so it's not a, I think a lot of times people feel like, oh, if I, like how he's saying, if I'm, if I'm not busy, I'm nobody. If I don't attain this or that, I'm not anybody. The life doesn't have a value. And uh, that's, that's wrong. But when we're believing it, it sure is shaping. So, um, this is too big a topic for a little less than an hour. Um, I'm editing my stories now. I have a, st- a story I wanted to. Uh, I'll tell it anyway. Some of you may have heard me tell the story. For me, it's like there was this this particular moment was like a really great example of this kind of sequence that happens from pleasant and unpleasant. Oh, actually, I'm going to say two things. Yeah, I'll tell this one first. I was on a bus in San Francisco. Going down, this was the 14 going down Mission Street. Woman gets on the bus and she's yelling into her cell phone. And she sits right next to me. Really yelling. Not just like when somebody's talking and it sounds like they're yelling. Really yelling. And immediately I got into a tangle with her in my mind. You know, I was like, she needs to be told this is not okay. You know, this is incredibly disrespectful and just rude. And luckily, I had a moment of mindfulness before I decided to make the world safe for uh, you know, uh, non-cell phone users on buses or whatever. And the question arose, this is a good thing about practicing, is that sometimes these things kick in. The yeah. question arose, uh, what is happening? And immediately, my mind went to the feeling in the body. And it was just an unpleasant feeling. There's this feeling tone, unpleasant. There was like, wah, 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 coming in the ear, unpleasant. Yeah. It was very interesting. As I was, vi- and, I, and just the mind, for whatever reason, that moment was just f- fully with the unpleasant feeling. And in that moment, I realized I could see what was happening outside of the bus. I could see like where we were on the bus. Before that, I had been 
locked with this lady. She didn't know it, but I was completely in an exclusive relationship with this woman, and I couldn't see anything around me. When I got with the, just the feeling of unpleasant, it's like that whole engagement collapsed, and yeah, it was unpleasant, but I wasn't caught in this thing. I was with the primary thing, the source of that whole tension, which was this feeling in my body that I wanted to get rid of by telling her to be quiet. That's usually our strategy, is I'm feeling something, so I should change something in the outer world, which sometimes you can do, and it's useful. I'm feeling something, so I'm going to tell you how you need to behave, because I don't want to feel this anymore. We don't say it that way. It's just what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> but it's really useful to know that this, this thing, our relationship to it can shift without even changing the outside condition. Now, sometimes we need to change the outside condition, and we can. But to, for my freedom to be dependent on her not talking on the phone, that would be too bad <laughs> for me. Because she probably wouldn't have stopped, you know. <laughs> we would have got into we would have got into it. You might not know this about me because I'm sitting up here, but I could get into it. <laughs> so, 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 uh, yeah. So anyway, just a, just an example of like that that shift out of the kind of being stuck into just what's primary. The unpleasant. I invite you to notice that, right? You're in this whole thing about how you don't belong at Spirit Rock. You failed as a meditator. It's your 15th retreat, and still your mind is racing all over the place, you know? And see if you can notice what is happening right now. Oh, I'm feeling tired. Yeah? It's usually something very in the moment. We don't notice it, you know? It's like unpleasant. This tiredness is unpleasant. And now I'm in this whole fantasy about how I'm failing at meditating. And that leads to how I failed at everything else in my life. There's a coherence to these narratives. Yeah. Right? And you can trace it back to a moment of unpleasant often. And two minutes later, you can be having the opposite experience. You get in a little groove, you feel your breathing, your mind gets calm, you feel a little tingly feeling, and all of a sudden, you're the greatest yogi Spirit Rock has ever seen. The teachers are definitely going to notice me. You know, I might be the next Buddha. And wow, that was fast. That was a fast transition. And it came out of a moment of feeling pleasant. Right? So it's humbling both ways. Neither one is true. I mean, maybe the second one is true. <laughs> but neither one is really true. But, it, but it's conditioned, and this is the part we don't know, it's conditioned by something just very ordinary that we don't know how to be in relationship to. Yeah. There's nothing about the mind wandering which is morally bad, but there tends to be a thought about it, an unpleasant feeling, and then we get, we get all carried away. So do you get the sense, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither? This is a domain to practice in, and one of the most kind of obvious places it comes up, what well, comes up all over the place, but is just in the body. You know, noticing the quality of the experience, and you can start to notice this. Uh, don't worry about it too much. Stay with the body and the breathing for now. We're just kind of sketching the territory. 
So later, the third domain is uh, what's called traditionally mind states. And so we start out with the breath and the body, and that's what we're primarily doing today and probably tomorrow morning. Yeah, it's just getting here, getting unified in our attending, getting a little bit here. Yeah. Then we're going to start to really notice the sensations domain, pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. Then we're going to expand the instructions. We'll give detailed instructions about this to include the domain of states of mind and emotions. And this is really important. You're probably all, your emotions don't wait till the third day of the retreat, right? <laughs> Put those on hold. <laughs> no. Uh, so you're having emotions already, but we'll give more detailed instructions on how to feel them in your body. Right? The instruction's always the same. It's amazing that people still want to hear them, except that it's so hard to remember this stuff, and to really get it is hard. It doesn't, the instruction is to feel your emotion in the same way you're feeling the breathing. Just to feel it the way it is. Even if it's sadness, even if it's fear, to make space for it to be here. Yeah? And in the Buddha's, I'm going to read this section of the text, same is true for mind states. So when you're feeling your mind is restless, the instruction is to be with the restlessness. When the mind is sleepy, the instruction is to be with sleepy. Yeah? When... Uh, the mind is concentrated, the instruction is to be with the mind when it's concentrated. When the mind is not concentrated, the instruction is to be with the mind at, when it's not concentrated. So this third domain is all of the states that you experience, even though you might have your preferred ones, welcome what's happening now in awareness. This is the great equalizer. Awareness is the great equalizer. It doesn't, this is the secret teaching, as I said in one of the groups, it doesn't matter what's happening. From the standpoint of practice, it kind of doesn't matter. What we're cultivating is the quality of attending with whatever's happening. So this can break you out of this idea that you're supposed to be experiencing a certain state and get you into the steadiness of cultivating just awareness with what's happening now. Just this feeling, just this emotion, just this state of mind. I'm loving everybody. I'm hating everybody. What's hating like? I'm not supposed to be hating everybody. This is, isn't there a Buddha up there somewhere? Didn't he say something about something? It's always vague, that thought. It's never really what the Buddha said. Didn't he say something about it, something's bad? <laughs> You're hating everybody. What's it like to just be in feeling hating? What's that like as a state? Or rage, to feel rage and to let it be rageful. It doesn't mean you act it out. That's very different. Acting it out is a way of getting away from it. Well, we're going to learn how to metabolize our own emotional states. This is something human beings just don't know how to do, and they have no practice at it, and we can practice it. It's good for your health, because all of the repressing and trying to get, it, it creates tension in the body, and that's not good for you. Yeah? But it's certainly good for your mental health. 
but even the body starts to feel better because emotions are meant to move and then they can move, move through. Uh, this other part of the third foundation is, of course, thinking. So again, this will be a little later in the treat, we'll give explicit instructions, but you're already noticing, you're with some pain, your, your knee starts to hurt and then you start to think about it. Yeah? And the thinking gives rise to more feeling. And so you st- we start to be aware of the stories we're telling and how we create a sense of the way things are through thinking and to create a sense of identity through thinking, yeah? through storytelling. We live in a world of stories and our sense of who we are is just a world of stories. A lot of conflicting stories, it's kind of like we can only hold it together by being so not present. Because if we were more present, we'd see how contradictory they all are and see that they don't make any sense. You know, and, and most of the really deep ones, the, like, with the, the inner beliefs that we hold that kind of form our real sense of who we are, were formed when you were like five or three. You know, they're like these stories that they're like a child's understanding, and yet they get very deeply wired in there. And that doesn't make them true. So this is a level we don't see, an organizing belief. And you will start to even see these things. There's something wrong with me. I'm incomplete. There's not enough. I'm not enough. These kind of core things, these are thoughts, as much as they feel real. When we believe a thought, we live in the world of that thought. It's like a magic show. All you need to do is believe one thought and you could go to war. Just believe one thought and you can become kind of anything. So the capacity to see the mind create identity moment by moment is a very liberating thing. And this is why we are not trying to get you to stop thinking. That would not be that useful. As we unfold the instructions by later on the tree, we will be really watching the mind. Yeah? Watching how out of a moment of unpleasant you tell yourself a story about who you are or how things are. And, and most of these stories, I almost could say all of them, are either not true or mostly not true. And as human beings, we live often in a really confined sense of self. And the Buddha in the teachings never said there's no self. What was said was that all things are not self. All those things that you take yourself to be are not what you are. So when we're living in these shaping narratives, we experience ourselves as quite narrow. And you might notice even a moment when, when the mind is quiet, there can be an expansiveness because we're not living in a box of our own story. So again, I'm, I'm getting... I'm not getting ahead of myself because we're right here. But 
in terms of the sequence of the teaching, well, you're already having thoughts, but we'll be unfolding this more explicitly. But this is sort of tracing the territory. Basically, we're starting with the breathing of the body, and we'll be systematically expanding the instructions to pay attention to all of our human experience. And this core thing about identity formation will be visited throughout because it's kind of like the core teaching of the Buddha, which is that we form a sense of identity. We create it out of momentary experience. Momentary experience becomes who we are. We go from the particular to the general, like that. Just watch your mind. We're we're generalizers. Particular to the general. Particular to the general. Particular to the general. So, I'm out of time and I didn't even get to the fourth one. But that's okay because the fourth one's not important. No, that's a joke. (laughs) The fourth one will be covered in other ways because the fourth one is uh, noticing all of these various teachings which we'll be giving over the next few days, like noticing the kind of uh, difficulties that arise in meditation and things like that. So uh, the fourth one will be, you'll be okay. We'll take care of the fourth one. Uh, So... After all of this territory, let's come back just to right now. As Howie said, maybe this will be like a recurring theme. Am I here? Let me think about it. I will never find out if I'm here by thinking about it. Yes, I'm here. Because experience is happening. And what am I aware with? What I am aware with is the curriculum. So the great thing about this practice is you don't determine the curriculum. I hope you can come to understand this someday. It's a really hard thing to take in. And this is true in your whole life. You're not writing this thing. You're trying to do your best within it and you are making choices and decisions that have some impact. But there are a lot of other forces at play, I think. You're not even writing the script of what you are gonna think and feel, right? I mean, that's humbling. Today, that would be cool. No, it wouldn't, that would be terrible, actually. Tomorrow, I'll have uh, pleasant sensations in the first sitting. I'll experience just the right amount of dukkha in the second one, just to feel like I'm overcoming some internal patterns, and then I will... That would be so boring, wouldn't it? Yeah, you're not even deciding what comes into your mind from moment to moment. You're not. So you can give yourself a break about it. You know, stop beating yourself up for what you happen to be thinking. But let's cultivate this this other thing simultaneously, which is awareness with. It's just what's here. You don't control what's arising, but you can choose to be present with it. And so what really shifts in practice and through practice is not 
what's happening, but the relationship to what's happening. And that's why we can experience greater freedom and ease in the midst of this world as it is and with things as they are. And that doesn't mean we don't act to improve the world or to, to alleviate suffering, but it means that freedom is available and possible here and now. It doesn't have to wait for you to become the person that you think you're supposed to be. So let's just sit for a moment and uh, let the words settle. May our practice serve for the welfare and the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.